Hear the word of the Lord, ye children of Israel, for the Lord hath a controversy with the inhabitants of the land, because there is no truth, nor mercy, nor knowledge of God in the land. By swearing and lying and killing and stealing and committing adultery, they break out, and blood touches blood. Therefore shall the land mourn, and every one that dwelleth therein shall languish with the beasts of the fields and the fowls of the heaven. Yea, the fishes of the sea also shall be taken away. Yet let no man strive, nor reprove another, for... Thy people are as they that strive without priest. Therefore shalt thou fall in the day, and the prophet also shall fall with thee in the night, and I will destroy thy mother. And people are destroyed for lack of knowledge, because thou hast rejected knowledge. I will also reject thee, and thou shalt be no priest to me, seeing thou hast forgotten the law of thy God. I will also forget thy children. All right, let's pray before we get into today's Sunday school. Dear God, thank you for gathering us here today. Day at church. We know today is also a big day at church for the uh, opening of Chinese school. We pray that you're with the teachers and all those involved with that right now, that this may be the start of a fruitful season of pre- preaching the gospel, spreading your message to those who have never heard it. We thank you that we've give, been given this chance and be with all the workers involved, be with all the, our prayer warriors and in here involved that are praying for them. Be with everyone as this church works together to continue to uh, spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so this is Hosea chapter 4. We've been studying chapters 1, 2, and 3 so far. And I think, uh, oh, we have to get this up. Let me get this. Maybe this will help. What we've, what we've been studying so far in chapters 1 to 3 have been the story of Hosea and Gomer, right? That's been the story we've studied so far. And that's been the big part of what we've been studying. Hello. You're welcome to have a seat if you like. So in chapters 1 to 3, we get this illustration based on the real thing that happened to Hosea, right? Of what was the problem for those people in Israel, right? Back in the time of Hosea. Okay? And the problem was that they had gone away from God. They'd gone away from God, right? They had been harlots to God. And so, as an example to help Hosea understand what it was exactly that was going on and why God was so angry, God puts Hosea through this incredible test, a test that I think many of us would fail, right? He tells him, okay, what I want you to do first is I'm going to go marry the whore, right? Marry Gomer, who was... You know, that's her reputation. She was, a, a, she was a whore, a prostitute, or whatever. I don't know. Right? Something along those lines. That's what chapters 1 to 3 were about. And we saw the breakdown. The breakdown of how that relationship really mirrors what God wanted to teach these children of Israel. Right? What we're going to see in chapters 4 to 14 is now more of the traditional, the traditional books of prophecy. I don't know if you guys have read many of the prophet books, right? But a lot of them, the way they are uh, set up and organized, is that it's kind of like the prophet gets a message from God and here he is telling you this is what God said, right? God said this, don't do this, do this, etc., etc., right? So, so far in this book, we've had a lot of stories, right? So now we're going to get to the part where there's less story and more of the message. The message of what is the point of the story, right? 
But to do the quick recap, remember we did the recap in chapters two through uh, chapters two and three. We studied the family of Hosea, right? And I put up this graphic before to explain how the family really symbolizes the relationship between Israel and God, right? Hosea has three children. Each of their names is something significant, right? First child with Gomer, Jezreel. Jezreel means scattered, which really talks about what happened to Israel. When they turned away from God, they got scattered, right? Next kid, Lo Ruhama. We studied that meant no mercy, no mercy. When they were scattered from God, when they went away from God, there was no mercy from God, right? And finally, Lo Ami, the third child, Lo Ami, which translated means not my people. That when they turned away from God and they had no mercy from God, they were no longer God's people. Well, that's what we've been talking about in these first couple chapters, right? We've been talking about all these things, but we also talked about this, that at the end, there was a bit of a reversal, right? That even though at the outset, this is the way they were, we studied, and most recently in chapter 3 we studied, right? That Hosea was told to go back to his wife. That's what we said last time, right? He, does, he was told, go back to your wife. Yes, that same wife that was the one that was cheating on you, that left her home, that went to go live with another man. Go back to her. She hadn't repented. She hadn't done anything, anything change in her life, right? But still, he was told to go back and love that woman. And he did. And he did. And the idea being, and not only that, he had to buy her, buy her out of slavery or buy her out of whatever situation she was, right? We said last time, he paid a big price. He paid, paid a big price. 15 pieces of silver, an omer of barley, an half omer of barley. That was in chapter 3, right? He paid all he could to buy his wife back. And that's the way God was with us. He didn't give up on us, right? He didn't just say, oh, you're not my people forever. That's what he said to the children of Israel. In the end, he paid a big price to buy them back. What was the price he paid? Well, we all know. We all should know, right? He paid the price that was more than 15 pieces of silver. He paid the price of his own son, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was the price paid for the redemption of the children of Israel. And it's the same price paid for our redemption, right? Because the story of Israel matches the story of us. We fell into sin. We need Jesus to buy us out of slavery. Slavery to sin. And that was chapters 1 to 3. That's the story of Hosea and Gomer. Okay? So that's very, all very allegorical, all very symbolic. Right? Now we're getting beyond the symbolic. And now we're going into the more direct message of God. So he's given the symbolism. This is how you guys have been acted, just like Gomer. You guys are all Gomers, right? You're all sinners. You all turn away from me, right? That's a problem. Now we're going to chapter 4. We're the first six verses of chapter 4. And now he's being a little more direct, God here, speaking through Hosea. Hear ye the word of the Lord, right? Pretty clear, right? This is God talking now. This is God's message, right? The Lord hath a controversy, a controversy, a complaint, Right? This is God's complaints against the children of Israel. Right? This is what he's saying. He's listing it out here. 
This is what my problem is, right? This is my problem with you guys. Verse 1 makes it pretty clear. He says, there is no truth, nor mercy, nor knowledge of God in the land, right? That's what he set out, right? The problems. No truth, no mercy, no knowledge of God in the land. Verse 2, what's the result of having no truth, no mercy, no knowledge? The result is you guys are swearing and lying and killing and stealing and committing adultery, doing all these sins. What's the result of the sin? Verse 3. Verse 3. The land shall mourn. The land shall mourn and languish. Languish, right? All the things is going to go bad, right? How bad? How bad? In verse 5. In verse 5. It's so bad that in, the day, in that day, even the prophet. And the prophet supposed to be the man of God, right? Even the prophet shall fall, Right? So verse 6, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Lack of knowledge. How bad are these people? Verse 4, we skipped over this one, I forgot here. Let no man strive nor reprove. Strive, strive, strive in this context means to kind of like argue, argue. So no man should argue nor reprove. Prove means correct. So why is this? Normally we'd say, don't you want people to argue and correct with the wrongdoers, right? It says, don't argue or try to correct the wrongdoers. Why? For they are the ones that strive, that argue with the priest. Meaning this, they are so bad that their sin is so bad that they're at the point where they even argue with the priest. So don't waste your time arguing with them. If they're even arguing with the priest, Good luck arguing with them, telling them their sin is wrong, right? That's how bad the people of Israel had become, right? That they got to this point. So you see here the breakdown of what God has as a problem with these people, right? This is the problem. And it starts right from the beginning. Let's go through the beginning and uh, try to take as much as we can in our remaining time to try to figure out what is the big problem here. The, verse 1, no truth, no mercy, no knowledge of God. When we're talking about truth here, what are they talking about? No truth, we're talking about the truth of Jesus Christ, the truth of God, right? This is the truth that we ought to have. We know that in our lives, and it was true for the people back then. Back then, they had to understand the truth of the coming Messiah. For them, it was the coming Messiah because Jesus hadn't come yet, right? They had to know that truth. That's what they were taught. They should have known that. But they didn't. They didn't. And because they didn't know that, what happened? There was no mercy. We've studied this many times, right? No mercy. Very consistent, right? The same message. No mercy. But what is the root cause? What is the root cause? Why did they not follow the truth? Why did they wind up with no mercy? Why does it say in verse 6 that his people were destroyed? They were destroyed for lack of knowledge. Right? Verse 1. No knowledge of God in the land. Verse 6. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. In fact, it says they have rejected knowledge. And that's why God will reject thee. Right? How bad is it that they rejected the knowledge of God, the law of thy God? It says I will forget even thy children. The knowledge of God, the lack of knowledge of God, is what is the root cause of all the problems here of Israel. I think a lot of times it's a problem for us too that leads us into sin. We touched on this a little bit 
last week, if you were here for the uh, Colossians message, right? And we talked about how we have the Word of God as our guide against sin, right? So that's part of it, certainly, certainly. But when God talks about knowledge here, we're talking more than just book knowledge, right? It's not just can we memorize certain things, right? Do we know certain things from the Bible or the scriptures or whatever? In fact, God even recognizes that there are some people that have, uh, that have heard this knowledge before, right? It says here in verse 6 that the people, not just, not, not that they didn't know, it's that they rejected the knowledge. They rejected the knowledge. Surely those people grew up in the synagogue, right? And they've heard, they grew up in the temple. They've heard these things, what God says. They rejected it. Right? So it's not just about knowing a fact, knowing a story. The knowledge God talks about is an intimate knowledge. An intimate knowledge of really is what God wants. Right? What does God want? What does God expect from us? What is God's desire? I'll compare this knowledge to the most close knowledge that I'm familiar with. Right? I think the closest relationship and the closest knowledge that, that I would have is with my own wife. I don't know, you guys with your own that are married, I think you guys would probably agree with this, right? That the person that you know best, right? That you really, the thing you have the most knowledge of is your significant other, right? That's the nature of a relationship. You know, one time I, we, we went out to, to, to lunch with some, uh, one of our old friends, right? And he's telling us about how he had met up with this other, you know, he'd start dating this girl, but she was in uh, San Diego, right? So he lived up here in the Bay Area and lived in San Diego. It was a long-distance relationship. And we told him flat out, oh, it's going to be tough. It's tough to have a long-distance relationship to make it work. Why is that? Because you're not around each other. You can't know each other. You can't spend time with one another, right? And he says, oh, you know, like, you know, Elaine and I, we've been together so long, right? We know, like, so much about each other, about, you know, what we like, what we don't like. Some stuff has just become, like, eter- internalized, right? Like, I know there's a certain way that she wants a certain thing done, right? Oh, I got to get that done that, that right way. She doesn't even need to ask me. I know it. I'll go do it that way, right? And I told this guy, well, how are you going to learn all this stuff if you're not even around her, right? It's going to be tough, Right? Unless, you know, I told them, you know, the only way I've seen these long-distance type relationships work is that the people make tons of effort to actually go, you know, travel back and forth, like every free time they have, right, to go see the other person, to put that kind of effort into the relationship. And he's like, oh, no, nowadays there's like Skype or whatever. I can just chat online for like, uh, you know, once a night, and that's good enough or whatever, right? And it's no surprise that a couple months later, their relationship ended, right? Because they didn't have that intimate knowledge and didn't have that real interaction, in-person interaction, right? To keep that relationship going. With God, it's the same way. It's not just simply about knowing, oh, I can memorize a few Bible facts, and that's a close relationship, that's knowledge of God. Knowledge of God is something much, much more intimate. It requires much, much more effort. Think about this way. Think about the people who Hosea was talking to back then in the 700s BC. Things were a lot different back then. That's a lot different than the way we know about Bible knowledge. Bible knowledge back then was a lot different than it is today. Because today, we have the Bible, right? We have this book. We can read this book. We can know something about this book. Think about what people were like back then. Most people were illiterate. You can't even read. Even if you had the book, you could not read it, 
You're illiterate. There's no educational system. People didn't go to school. You're a farmer, right? You're a fisherman. You're whatever you are. You don't need skills like reading. You know, that's for like high class people or whatever, right? And this book, or back then there were scrolls, right? They didn't have books, right? They're scrolls. You've seen like the Dead Sea Scrolls, right? These scrolls were rare. Think about how long it takes to handwrite a scroll with all of the uh, mosaic law on it, right? Take a long time. It'd be a treasured item, a rare item. In fact, the item was held mostly by the priests. That's why we read so much in just these couple of verses talking about priests, right? The priests. Why is God focusing on it? Because the priests were supposed to be the keepers of this knowledge. They're the ones that learn how to read. They're the ones that had possession of the scrolls, that could know what's in the scrolls and share about the scrolls. If you were a regular guy, like you and me and everyone else, right, and you wanted to learn God's knowledge, you had to rely a lot on the priests, right? You had to actually show up when it's time to worship God on the Sabbath day. If you're not there on the Sabbath day, guess what? You have a hard time hearing anything about knowledge of God, wouldn't you? Right? If you're not around your fellow, well, back then they're all Israelites, right? If you're not around your fellow Israelites and talking to them and sharing about what you know, you're not going to hear a lot about the knowledge of God, right? You only have a limited time with that priest, right? The priest is out there talking about the Bible, not, or the scriptures back then, right? And that's a time to hear from it. In fact, this is something actually very true throughout most of the history of Christianity, right? Even a couple hundred years ago, most people were illiterate, right? Most people did not have a copy of the Bible. In fact, in those medieval times, right, each church might only have one copy of the Bible. That was it. It's all good for it. Books were expensive, right? These people, I think why God put out this message here and the message through all these generations is to remind her that, hey, we need to come to him to get this intimate knowledge. It requires more than just, oh, I'm trying to memorize certain things. It requires actual effort, presence on our part, being part of a church community, right? Some people say, oh, you know, I, I don't learn that much from church. Why don't I just stay at home all day and read the Bible all day? Isn't that enough? I could be like a monk, right? Like a monk. Oh, I read this over and over again. Isn't that knowledge? No, true knowledge involves also being part of this community, being part of it. When you hear people like me trying my best to impart the wisdom of God to you through this message, to give uh, one perspective. When you are with your brothers and sisters in Christ here, sharing about it, right? That's why we always encourage things like sharing and uh, testimony and, uh, and, you know, and uh, getting to know our fellow Christians here, because that's the way we also share our knowledge of who is God, what is God, what does God do, right? Some of you guys stuck behind afterwards for our Labor Day lunch last time, right? And it wasn't, you know, it was a pretty casual thing, pretty unorganized. But even in this unorganized setting, God was glorified, because we had a few people that, without request from me, just came up and decided they want to share testimony. They want to share with us what they know about God and how they experience God. And that's the way we gain this knowledge. It's not just from, oh, I can read one verse a day, like what Nathan would say, right? Read one verse a day. That's not true, intimate knowledge. It takes time. It takes effort. It takes presence, just like a relationship does. When I got to know Elaine, I didn't say, Elaine, submit to me a list 
of what you like and don't like, and I will study and memorize it, right? No, that's not the way it works. You guys with the boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, you know that's not the way it works. You don't get a list and you learn it. It's you live it, right? It's like you're around that person all the time. You intrinsically know this is what she likes, this is what she doesn't like. Same thing. She would say the same thing about me, I'm sure, right? That you're around me so much you know, oh, this is the thing Norman likes to eat. He doesn't like to eat this other thing, right? How do you know that? Because I've gone and eat with him every single day for the past however many years, right? You can observe it. You can see it. When you're around Christians every single day, right? You can see, ah, this is how Christians act. This is how Christians don't act. When you're around them, this knowledge becomes part of you. I've told you in the past about how, you know, back in my younger days, right? When I had nothing to do, when I was like a lazy college student, right? When I had time to spend time all around with Melvin, right? And we do stuff with Melvin, not even like, not, not church stuff at all, right? We say, Melvin, let's go play this board game or whatever, right? Play board games with Melvin, hang out at church with him, right? Even on this non-Christian event, totally thing, you could see the influence because he plays the game differently than other people, right? It could be like, oh, one of the games is like, oh, you write down, uh, you try to guess who wrote which answer to each question, right? Oh, sometimes you would read the answer and it'd be something like, oh, getting people saved. Oh, who wrote that answer? Well, we could always guess it's Melvin, right? Melvin would write that as the answer, right? And so he, you get that influence just being around someone like that. Oh, we're getting knowledge about what it means to be a Christian, what it means to follow God. Oh, when you're a Christian, you follow God, you have, you have that desire to get people saved, for example. And you see it in the way they act, right? The act of, oh, they're not cheating at the game, right? They're not getting upset and swearing, right? They're not doing all these type of things. And just the influence of others brings that together. That's how you get the knowledge, the knowledge that God is talking about here. What happened to the Israelites, they turned away from that. They didn't want to listen to the priest, right? Said so they argue with the priest. Priest, you're wrong. I don't want to follow you, right? They didn't want to just hang out with Israelites and have the, the good influence of people that were actually following him. No, they wanted to go see, hey, what are those idol worshipers doing? We want to see what the Baal worshipers do. We want to follow this idol, that idol. That's how they turn wrong. And we watch out for the same thing here today, right? When we say, hey, we're not going to spend our time getting deeper knowledge of what God says. Instead, we have followed the knowledge of the world, right? How much, as, Nate, as uh, Melvin pointed out in his previous time speaking, right? How much do people spend time getting intimate, knowing the lyrics to the rock songs? How much time do people spend around, you know, this is the opening day football season, right? Around following the football team, knowing the rosters, knowing who the star players are, the statistics, the everything, Right? Some people are like that. They're so immersed in it, so intimately engaged with something like that, like football, like their rock music, like this and that. Do we have that same kind of intimate engagement with the Bible, with God? We have the luxury of having the Bible. That's true. We have that added advantage over the people in Hosea's day where we don't have to spend so much time trying to track down the priest and learning from him, trying to track down other Israelites and learning from them, right? We still should do that, right? We still need to say, hey, You know, talk to our brothers and sisters, learn from them, learn from church, and learn from reading the Bible because we have that advantage, right? But how much time do we spend doing that? 
Do we spend less time than that than we do studying for our fantasy football drafts to make sure we know every player and every roster and every statistic? I don't know. I hope we do more. That's where the true knowledge is from. And that true knowledge is the one that will protect us from sin. And we'll talk more about sin next time, but I think I've blown through all my time talking so much about this. So we'll cop- cut it off there. We'll do more on verses 1 through, next, through 6 next time and go on to finish up the chapter the next time uh, we look at Hosea. But right now, let's end off with a word of prayer. Dear God, thank you for your word, the Bible. You know, you've, you've given us a chance that we have to study it, to learn from it, and hope you, you know, helped me today to, to share some of the messages. And, you know, we're glad we have a church where we can learn from the Bible. We're glad that we have a Bible that we can learn from. Hopefully, we reach out in other things, whether it be through fellowships, through our own brothers and sisters, through whatever means it is that we dedicate our time to gaining this knowledge of you, this intimate knowledge of you, not just cursory, oh, I know, thou shalt not kill, right? To know more than that, beyond that, to know what it is that you are and you want and that we can live it, to live out the life of Christ. We hope that you help us with that, you encourage us with that, and be with us always and be with us the rest of this Sunday and be with us the rest of this Chinese school opening Sunday. We pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen.